Hey everyone, Chris Wan here. This is Accent Out Loud, a podcast about one person's take on English language learning, accent modification, and communication. Hey everyone, this is Chris from Accents Out Loud, and this is going to be episode 26. And we're just going to do another newsletter discussion from my recent newsletter yesterday and we're going to just talk about it in terms of news and journal club stuff i recently read an article it's actually a bit older um, from 2016 but the title was called native english speakers are the world's worst communicators and it highlights this idea that native english speakers who are solely Uh, speaking one language, so for example, native English speakers who only speak English, are actually really bad communicators. Now, why is that? I think a lot of times non-native English speakers would kill to speak English, for example, uh, as proficiently as a native English speaker. The issue is that on a global scale, as people become more globally connected, there's going to be this lingua franca, this this common language that everyone's going to try and do or speak. So, for example, if we have Japanese speakers, businessmen working with Italian businessmen, they're not going to try to learn each other's language. It's not going to be Italian people trying to learn Japanese or Japanese people learning trying to learn Italian most likely they're going to all try and speak English, a common ground language. Now, the issue with why native English speakers are bad at communicating is that there has never been a struggle or a um, empathic perspective that helps them understand how to frame how to change, how to alter the communication style to be more accommodating to non-native English speakers. As a result, a lot of times when there are native speakers and non-native speakers, the native speakers talk longer. They talk more, they talk more, and essentially they take over the conversation. Likewise, they might also use slang, cultural references, acronyms, things that might be challenging for a non-native English speaker to use or understand, particularly if they're not experienced with the language. Now, non-native English speakers, so an Italian person um, who speaks English as a second language and a Japanese person who speaks English as a second language, they keep their English communication very simple, very grammatically simple so that it's structured quite simply and easy to understand. They don't use hard, challenging, very um, verbose words. They might just choose one or two words to describe something. And so ultimately, what it boils down to is they use English in a very clear way. Maybe it's stripped of a lot of the nuance, maybe it's stripped of the cultural references, maybe it's stripped of a bunch of other things, but the main message is easily understood. And that's a huge part, particularly in 
international communication, international business, because you want to make sure that the message is received correctly, understood correctly, that everyone decides and understands the goals correctly, so that there's no confusion. So I thought that was a really interesting point. And what actually also was raised is that there's this guy out there. His name is Jean-Paul Nerrier, um, and he's French. And he's essentially boiled down English into its basic form, and he calls it globish. Now, it is a tool, not a full language per se, but it's a tool for the right circumstances to help people communicate in the stripped-down form of English. It's really only 1,500 words in total, and it uses simple and standard grammar. And the idea is that for international communication, uh, for communicating in English, these are the agreed-upon words, these are the agreed-upon grammatical structures, that you can keep everything very simple, very understandable, and make sure that communication is correctly made. Especially when you're talking about business people who are making, I don't know, thousands of dollars or million dollar decisions, right? If something is not understood correctly, if something is, if concerns are not raised correctly, if there is a miscommunication of where to invest money, anything like that, the, the, the circumstances or the, the consequences can be extremely high and extremely dire. So that's definitely one of the very interesting things about it is I don't think native English speakers necessarily consider all these things, right? They consider their own proficiency in English and they use it accordingly, but they don't necessarily have the perspective of somebody who struggles with English. And so they might not tailor their language accordingly. So that was a very interesting article by Morrison in 2016. It was from BBC. And <clears throat> um, yeah, I thought it was just really interesting. It was a really provocative take on English, on the trends towards English as the international language of business, and what people need to start thinking about in terms of futures, learning English, communicating effectively. The thoughtful quote for this week was, you cannot always control what goes on outside, but you can always control what goes on inside. And this is from Wayne Dyer. And I think for me, uh, this quote resonated with me at least because I had a hard week. I thought things were struggling. It was busy. And these types of quotes, these types of things help keep me grounded. Yes, things can be busy. Yes, things can be stressful. Yes, things can be chaotic and that's part of that's part of the lifestyle that's part of the work-life balance that i have at a hospital things can be chaotic people can come in uh, randomly and have a lot of things going wrong need a lot of help in the hospital and that's just part of the job and really i can only control how i react to these things these situations these circumstances and that's all I can really work on. I, I, can, I only have control on my ability to respond, my ability to stay sharp-minded, 
my ability to stay um, clear and I can't worry about the rest because there's no point in worrying about it. And the same thing I think goes and applies, at least in my mind, um, to how I see learning a different language or learning a new accent. Yes, I can't control how other people re will respond. I cannot control how they will interpret how much effort they're going to put in. I cannot interpret. I cannot control how much patience they they give me or how little patience they have for me. But I can control what I can control and in those cases i can control how i speak how much effort i put into my speech and pronunciation how much effort i put into how i understand keep myself accountable and practice and ultimately that's all i can control a lot of times clients will tell me that they wish when they talk to people, people didn't ask them, where are you originally from? Because they might have been living in Canada for 20 years. Other times, they get frustrated because they just, they don't want to be asked questions about where they're originally from. It's maybe a pain point. Maybe it's something that they're just frustrated with because they see themselves as Canadian or they see themselves as having years and years and years of experience with English, so why are people treating them like they haven't? And to some degree, I, I think there has to be some acceptance and some, some understanding that people are going to think whatever they want to think. And you can only control how you perceive it, whether you get annoyed, frustrated, or you just let it go. And you can only control how much effort you put into it. How much practice you put into it, if it's that important to you. The word of the week that I chose was codify or codify. The, the word itself, <clears throat> it is a, it is, it means... Uh, to range into a systematic code. And it's actually used right now, particularly in U.S. politics, because a lot of the Democrat um, candidates are talking about codifying or codifying Roe versus Wade, which would make a woman's right to abortion a federal law. And I think on the Democrat side, there's a lot of different candidates who are saying that they're going to make that a, a strong point for their uh, party platforms, their wants. And so that word, codify or codify, is being used a lot right now. I've mainly heard codify by Americans. Sometimes they'll switch as well to codify. Uh, but I actually haven't had... Too much experience with the word in Canadian English, in Vancouver. I mean, partly because I don't use that word in my profession as a speech-language pathologist, and I don't really talk to people about politics. And that's my understanding of where I would typically hear that word. But I would probably say codify. And I believe the British system, the UK pronunciation, is also codify. Uh, in terms of tech fines, 
for this week, I found another app called Say It, English pronunciation by Oxford University Press, E-L-T. Now, it's not a new app per se. It's actually four years old, and it's made in association with Oxford University Press. So there's a few things to keep in mind. One, it's made by a UK business or UK um, located business. They do have American English pronunciations, but Canadian English pronunciations are a no-go. I don't see those there. Two, the UK uh, the American English pronunciations are a paid option, so it costs like five or six bucks Canadian, and you don't get them for free. You get like a hundred UK pronunciation uh, words for free, and you get to test out the apps a little bit, but it's pretty bare minimum stuff for free. What I did really like about it though is that the way that it practices single word pronunciation is it has a model or example pronunciation. You record your own waveform, you record your own speech, and it'll splice that up and put it side by side with the model. So you get to really see and compare the visual uh, presentation or form of your your pronunciation. The second thing it also does is it will put like a yellow streak on this waveform, on this visualization of your speech. And that yellow part, that yellow streak is the interpretation of your primary stress. So the part that you're stressing in the word the most. And it's good because it's good practice to actually figure out what part of the word are you stressing. Is that similar to how a model would say it? And you get to listen to both the, both examples, your own example, the one that you record in the moment, and the original example or model. And you get to hear the two and you can press play over and over again and hear it back. You can record yourself again try and compare one more time. So I think there's a lot of good visual feedback that you can get from some an app like this. I would actually love to see this done or on a more sort of open range or free um, type of system where I can record myself it'll highlight these things and then somebody else can try and mimic me or we can have a conversation and it does that as well versus um, being isolated to just the words that they decide to make the app about. It's really interesting though and definitely it, it, would, it would be great if there was like a free speech part section so that you can record, you, you can record yourself just talking and it'll layout in every single word, what part is stressed and whatnot. Last but not least, message mishap. In this one, I want to raise the idea that there are actual words in English that mean one thing and also mean the exact opposite of themselves as well. For example, the word oversight is a noun and it can mean an unintentional failure to notice or do something. But it can also mean the action of overseeing something. So, 
an oversight can reflect either missing something because you didn't actually pay attention or oversight can be the act of paying attention. It's super confusing to a non-native English speaker because if a native English speaker said it and the non-native English speaker only knows one interpretation, they might not consider it being the exact opposite. Right? So, for example, as a native English speaker, I might say the sentence, I don't know, there was, there was oversight of the um, operations. There was, there was an oversight of operations. That can either mean that there was a failure to pay attention to the operations or that it was actually overseen. And those are exact opposite interpretations of that. So, in these cases, native English speakers, I'm tying back to the journal article, but native English speakers might not realize that that might be a very ambiguous thing for a non-native English speaker to say or to understand. And ultimately, if no clarification is done or made or asked by the non-native English speaker, then the native English speaker might think it definition A, the non-native English speaker might think definition B, and there might be a big discrepancy in what you do next. Now, the main thing that a native English speaker can do to avoid this type of situation is use a different synonym that is less ambiguous, right? If I said there was an error in operations, then you know one, you know what, what I'm talking about. And then if you said, oh, there was supervision of operations, then that's also very, very clear and not ambiguous at all. So a native English speaker's job when communicating with non-native non English speakers is to keep that non-native English speaker in mind and tailor the language that you use to be a much more effective communicator. The non-native English speaker's job in that case when listening is to question or ask for clarification when things are confusing to make sure that the message is received correctly. Now, communication is always two parts, one part listening, one part speaking, but both sides, both parties need to be engaged, actively talking it through, confirming with each other, clarifying with each other to make sure that the message is ultimately received correctly. That's it for this week's newsletter. I'll leave a link in the description below if you want to check it out in, excuse me, in writing. If this was good for you, Give it a thumbs up. Let me know if there's any questions, comments, anything. You can always DM me at Lucid Accent on Instagram. Find me on Facebook. Whatever it is, come say hello. Bye. 
you like what you're hearing, or even if you aren't, let me know. I know this podcast can be something great and educational for a lot of people. I'm here to listen, so give me your take, your likes, your dislikes, and maybe we can make this into something that'll help a lot of people. Leave a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Once I figure out how to read the reviews, I'm sure it'll help.